Welcome everybody to the 27th episode of Quarantined Market Podcast, where some academics get together and discuss particular keywords in the self-isolating comfort of our pajamas. The keyword for today is fashion, and as guest we have Jakob Östberg. Alan, would you introduce Jakob, please? Well, Jakob Östberg, old uh, colleague of myself and Joel from our days at Stockholm University, is indeed professor of advertising and PR. Um, he, uh, as well as publishing plenty of articles, he's also published plenty of books, many, most of which are in Swedish, so unfortunately I haven't got to uh, read them um, or know how to pronounce them. But it's notable that he's collaborated with a broad range of interdisciplinary authors from ethnology and uh, anthropology. Uh, he also has been keeping a blog for the trade journal Resume. Um, and interestingly, at one stage, he worked at the Center for Fashion Studies um, at Stockholm University before making his return to the mother church that is marketing. So hello, Jakob. How are you? Hello. Uh, I'm good. Very nice to be, be here talking to you. Well, the key word that uh, we've identified today is something that, um, as is well known, I'm quite the expert in myself, as is Joe, which is fashion. So when would you say that um, fashion becomes an object of consumer culture, for example? Um, I'm thinking of uh, Grant McCracken's book where he talks about the Elizabethan courts and all of the uh, aristocracy impressing each other with... Where is a good place to start thinking and talking about fashion, Jakob? If you talk to fashion historians, uh, that's typically where they start. Uh, the life in the courts of, of Europe around 1400s, 1300s even, and, and, and onwards. Uh, and then it was purely uh, a matter uh, for, for the very upper, um, upper classes. And they were, as you said, impressing each other. And the tinder of those days were sending around... Um, Portraits, you know, they, they were trying to forge alliances with the different um, important families around around Europe. So they were sending uh, portraits of uh, of the young ones who were about to get married, hoping that uh, someone would say that, "Oh, here's someone that that seems like a good good catch." And then they started impressing each other uh, gradually by by dressing in ways that would show them that they had money and means and, and knowledge about these things. So then it started started like that, and then it gradually um, spread to, to other other parts of society. And, and part of that spread, uh, and which we still see today, is this, um, when it started spreading to, to other people, uh, apart from the, the old aristocracy, uh, getting monetary means and, and the, the knowledge and so forth to, to be able to dress in ways that, that looked like the upper class, and, the, and then it became complicated, and they tried to stop that in, in various ways, these sumptuary laws and so forth that were in, in effect for quite yeah, quite some time. And then, as, as we know, if we fast forward to today, I mean, fashion uh, exists virtually in, in all parts of, of um, at least yeah, Western societies and, and globally as well, but it has taken on a very different dynamic from those early early parts. So that's a that's a very very brief uh, <laughs> history of, of of the whole thing. But I think that the key thing in talking about fashion today is that it, it has some some important historical roots going back to the the aristocracy. But it's and then for you know 
couple of hundred years, it made sense to talk about fashion in the sense of, of trying to emulate the upper class in order to kind of pose as belonging to a social class that you perhaps did not uh, belong to or trying to, to catch up in this emulation uh, logic, which does not really explain many of the things that we call fashion today in, in the same kind of way. Um, could we talk a little bit about what people expect from fashion in the current COVID situation and also what fashion, in a sense, expects from people as consumers? So I was checking out some fashion blogs earlier today and I found, for example, the following one. Uh, it's from Luke Sideris and, and they state quite jubilantly, after crisis comes celebration, we might presently be stewing in our isolated woes, crying into the latest homemade soup, but the drunken joy of regaining our freedom once this is all over could also parallel that of past crises. Life will be a technicolor days of buzzing streets, exultant parties, and cake. Now, this is sort of revealing in a double sense, because at the same time in these blogs, they also make it very clear how important the current situation will be to herald new ideas such as more sustainable fashion, such as uh, uh, much more commitments to the planet. So I'm just interested, what could we make of this? That's, that's been a long, um, I mean, of course, fashion is about, you know, selling fantasies to people of, of some, some sort of, of possible uh, transformation of if if I uh, if I wear this if I if I buy this if I I mean and fashion exists of course in many domains outside of clothing but let's stay with clothing uh, so selling these fantasies of transformation and of course a lot of people want to be transformed into a to conscious uh, socially responsible uh, human human being so hence selling the idea of uh, of being ecologically conscious works quite well today but. I think we've, I mean, fashion is largely about, you know, neophilia, about feeding, uh, g coming up with new things, having fashion shows uh, a couple of times every season and so forth. I mean, there are a few exceptions today, but most of them work with trying to sell things on a fairly regular basis and having a fast turnover. Uh, so it, it's not really compatible with, uh, with consciousness, but I think uh, of, of, a, of a more ecological kind. But I, I think... This idea in the pandemic that that is described in this this blog that you refer to, uh, of of um, soon now we 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 put it on all on on pause here and and soon we'll get back into social life and then we're gonna you know have a party we're gonna you know get back to our normal things or even we we've, we've waited here for a long time and now we're really gonna show them. I think that's that's always part of the fashion dynamic that that we're waiting. And to launch our our new selves in public, and and, and this idea of, of planning uh, whatever it is we're gonna we're gonna wear, how we're gonna look, uh, and then bringing it out to public, and, and typically that happens on, on a very very fast circulation. And now it's it's been months for many people uh, where they have not really met anyone, so they've they've had excessive amounts of times to plan. And the I think the fantasy of the impression that they'll make once they're out in public uh, is then, of course, even greater. And the false 
that people will take when the, uh, the given effect uh, is not there will be even higher. Just to, to have some uh, conceptual corners, Jakob, uh, what, what about the relationship between subcultures and fashion? Uh, is there something inherently, or rather we should say historically, transgressive and grounded in youth culture about fashion, or is it still useful to think of it in those terms today? I think it's it's useful as, as one one lens, and I, I still think we see quite a bit of that, but I think we, I mean, the classical subculture studies, uh, looking at the, the way the punks uh, subverted the bourgeoisie's uh, way of dressing by, by cutting things in, in, in pieces and, and stitching them back together uh, with safety pins and, and those kinds of things made for a very nice uh, semiotic reading of, uh, of the workings of fashion where you could really map onto um, almost step by step. But look at now this subculture relates to the, the uh, dominant culture in this particular way, and they're showing it in, their, uh, in the way they dress in these particular ways, uh, using tartan in this way that it's not traditionally used, in, or whatever it might be, referring here to, to some of the work of, of Hebditch, for example. And, and I think that, I mean, that's one lens, but, it, but then it's been... The circulation and the way that that many of these styles are quickly kind of absorbed by appropriated by companies so they they quickly become just almost like empty, empty signifiers pointing towards rebellion uh, sold to people that are not really rebelling so you would see i mean today it, it happened back then also i mean quite quickly a lot of the, the punk aesthetic became fashionable and, and was used by people that were not you know punk in that sense today vivian westwood uh kind of stepped away from that scene and became um, very famous in, in selling things for a lot of a lot of money to people in the, in the upper classes as well so i mean already then uh in that process you would see that you know the the reading of fashion as uh, subcultural resistance uh kind of lost some of its power but i think we still see that in, in certain pockets but i think the the market is so good at appropriating these uh, and selling it back to people that do not belong uh, in those particular domains. How about the term authenticity? Uh, is, is that a term that you think still has some staying power when it comes to fashion? Um, quick answer, um, no. I think it's <laughs> that, that term has been, I mean, I think many times around emptied of, of, of so much, but I, I still think it's it's a term that, that can be used kind of emically in, in, in the way that a lot of people are looking for something that they will construe as authentic in the pursuit of, of um, yeah, whatever project they're involved in when it comes to, to trying to dress in a particular way. And, and again, I think it's something that if, if you look at what, what a lot of companies are doing, they're of course really trying to offer something to the market that will be interpreted as authentic. So, so I do think that both consumers and, and, and producers are really still using authenticity as a very important concept. Uh, but that's a different thing than saying that authenticity is, is this you know, transcendental uh, term that, that really we're, that it's something that we can actually uh, find, that it, that it has this ontological quality of, of truly being authentic. I think, I think that's, that's uh, not really a possibility, but I, I do think it's something that that still works 
as, a, as a catchphrase uh, for both consumers and producers. If I may, uh, can I continue just, just for a little bit with a rather critical tone here? So it feels to me that, of course, it's pretty obvious that fashion is very opportunistic and adapts to whatever situation it finds itself in, always ready to claim an aesthetic importance in whatever context it enters. To me, it feels it even gets celebrated for this. Often the narrative even seems, in my Facebook at least, that one should sort of enjoy this opportunity where one can perhaps now wear a mask with different graphics on it. So in a sense, your face has now been taken into the system, added into this system of the cyclical reproduction of fashion. So what would you feel about this? It's so easy to, um, to sit back and, and, and be um, cynical about this and say that, oh, look at these, now they're they're really trying to to just capitalize on people's uh, anxieties, and and now you know, uh, all, they found a new um, market niche where they can uh, steal people's hard-earned money by selling them fashionable masks. Definitely, I mean, there's that's that's one way of looking at it. But I, I do think that a lot of you know people involved in fashion would would you know truly think that they're involved in the pursuit of of helping helping people. Uh, so saying like, oh yeah, now all of a sudden people need to wear a mask. That's not, that's kind of not the nicest thing. It, it puts certain um, barriers between people. But maybe we can help them. Maybe we can make that uh, make that process uh, a little easier for them by by making nice masks that they can change around and and, and you know patterns, colors, whatnot. And yes, you can you can you can laugh at that. But I'm I'm I want. Kind of step away from. I don't think it's it's necessarily uh, intently evil by by the fashion the the, the fashion producers uh, doing that. You you can of course step back and take a different type type of more political analysis on that and, and say that they're part of the production system and, and 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 these masks are probably produced under certain conditions and so forth. But I do think that a lot of people involved in fashion and you see that also when it comes to these that that are trying to to produce things. Uh, uh, in slightly nicer ways than, than some of the other companies are doing, that they're, I think they're truly trying, even though they're kind of feeding the beast in, in trying, but not maybe intently so. Uh, one final critical approach, if I may, and then I promise to stop. And uh, this is something we've written about as well. So I'm reminded of Baudrillard, who wrote a lot about the cyclical intensity of fashion. Famously, he noted that fashion's goal is not beauty either, saying that if truly beautiful clothes were ever made, it would put an immediate end to fashion. Yet, it seems to me the fashion industry often seems to justify their cultural importance on precisely the aesthetic beauty that they are offering culture to give it life. Could we see this is the case? One important distinction that um... I mean, I, I, I did leave fashion studies and fashion theory for, for a reason, but one of the, the nice distinctions they, they make there is the distinction between fashion and clothing. You say that, you know, factories produce clothing, clothing is what we wear, and then there is this uh, system, symbolic system, where certain garments are for certain periods of time imbued with uh, a particular logic that we call fashion. 
but those and and but we need to keep fantasizing kind of the alibi for this entire system is that we at each point of time pretend that the clothing has some sort of, of magical quality to it that that uh, that makes it transcend uh, this logic and it's a truly beautiful garment but just like like Bodhya said that if that was truly the case that would not we would not experience it that way then then things would stop like okay now finally we have we have what we need and it's been nicely written about this actually in fashion studies uh, when they study the way that fashion is presented at uh, at museums when you take it out of the a particular time and, and, and place and, and put it on a, on a pedestal in a museum, it becomes something else. It lacks that that sense of life that that is is needed for it for us to actually pretend. And, and I think we can also many of us relate to when looking back at um, at old pictures and and such things, and, and we can remember a particular time where we thought that we looked really smart. We were on top of the the fashion game. And we look back, and we just look like like fools. It's clear that you know something had happened to 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 those garments that we that were had this. They were they were enchanted at a particular time, uh, and they've lost that. Uh, nothing has happened to the clothing per se, but something has happened to to the system that gives them the quality. So I think there are, there are kind of a lot of uh, ways to think about this process. But and, and I would just say yeah yeah I. I and as you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of uh, the writings of, of Bodhya myself. And I've, I've, yeah, we've talked about this previously quite a, quite a few times. So I, yeah, I think he's, he's definitely spot on with his analysis of this. And I do think that as you, as you say, that the fashion industry and the fashion uh, business and also people that are, are into fashion, fashion bloggers and people that have, have as their interest fashion and so forth, they need to um, live under the... Um, inherent understanding that these are truly important things and that we are engaged in something that is important. But I think the problem is that fashion is both taken way too seriously as if these matters were truly important from some essential standpoint and that the, the garments in themselves are important to study. I mean, maybe they were once upon a time um, in the traditional fashion system, then it, it maybe made, made more sense. So it's taken far too seriously by, by really going into detail about the materials and so forth. But it's also taken far too lightly. It's easy to brush off as, as unimportant. But of course, it's, it's not. Because so much time, money, energy, uh, I mean, the, the limited resources of the earth are spent on, on fashion, about, on these things that are, at the heart of it, quite, quite wasteful. Um, and we were trying to stop uh, a lot of people when you talk to them and say, like, oh, yeah, my, my goal now is to, to really... Uh, Lower my, my consumption uh, levels and, and uh, help uh, climate stop climate change here, and they can't do it because they feel haunted by by fashion. They just I just need to one more time catch up. And this beast that keeps haunting us, this beast called fashion, is to be taken quite seriously. It has very material and political effects. Uh, a lot of people are dying because of fashion. So it is both to be taken seriously and not too seriously. But I think that the wrong people are taking it seriously and the, the, the wrong people are taking it not seriously enough. Daniel Miller, the anthropologist in his uh, Denim project, yeah. de developed a critique that consumer researchers in particular are guilty of 
imagining that consumer culture is all about people trying to distinguish themselves from each other, engage in this kind of semiotic um, wonderland of identity projects and so on, whereas he is entirely sceptical of that notion. So uh, genes, for example, uh, his argument is that genes are probably the mo most commonplace textile commodity in the world. You could go just about anywhere and people will be wearing them. But the genes that people typically wear will be the sort of genes that they've bought for really not a lot of money in places like um, uh, Walmart you know, or, or, or Lidl. And they're not really intended as fashion statements. They're meant as a type of neutral form of, of blending in. And for the most part, that's what people are engaged in. They, they like to be in a city and to just wear the thing that doesn't really stand out. And I think that's quite an interesting point. Um, so should we distinguish, I think, between fashion as a discrete set of practices uh, versus the everyday consumer culture in which people are buying clothes and have a sort of limited attachment to wearing the thing that doesn't look too foolish but allows them to just get on with their daily life? Yeah, I, I really like that distinction. I think I think uh, Miller ha has some sort of, of counting exercise in the beginning of that book where he says that on, on any given day, half of the world's population will be wearing denim, which is quite, quite striking if that assessment is correct. Yeah, I, but I think, I think these two notions that you mentioned, the, the ones that try to distinguish themselves and stick out and be unique and the ones that just try to avoid looking like an idiot, they're both part of the same system. They're identity project, if you will, uh, or the lack of, of, of um, such a project are, of course, different. And some people are, are really trying to, to stand out and make this a big, I mean, you meet a lot of people that have a, as their main interest in life fashion. But as, as Miller and has, has made that, that argument also, I mean, it's kind of similar to his argument about the little back breasts as something that, that will not, you will not make a fool out of yourself. You can always resort those kind of, of, of bland, uh, this is at least not uh, something that people will laugh at kind of things. But what people will laugh at is not static. That also changes. So those jeans that you buy at, at Walmart or Lidl or whatever it might be, 10 years down the line, even those jeans will have changed little by little. And, and um, not everyone, but, but certain people will feel that, no, they don't quite work anymore. So I think they're they're not completely separated, these two um, modes of, of consumption. But I I fully agree that there has been an, an overemphasis on the very agentic. Uh, my project is all about sticking out and being unique. Is that something that distinguishes uh, everyone in consumer society or in consumer culture? So I think that's that's a grave overstatement of things. So Jacob, uh, as you noted. Fashion matters a lot in terms of the ideological fantasies it produces for consumers, but it also matters a lot in material relations. It's global chains of logistics and labor relations. What would be the most pressing ways to look at how fashion, even if phantasmatic, becomes important? So. Resorting back to what I what I said a little while ago, um, that that fashion is both taking too seriously and too lightly at the same time. So yeah, I think those that that 
that fantasize that fashion will truly uh, matter in the in the grander scheme of things, uh, they will be be quite disappointed. But as I also said before, fashion also has very real life consequences. It's a large industry. Lots of people are are working under horrible conditions in, in sweatshops and so forth uh, because of fashion. So so it it, it does have a, a a real life impact. But in terms of individual agentic subjects in the um, affluent Western world transgressing their current uh, conditions by fashion and, and coming out as something unique unique and different and, and special and making their life somehow uh, magical. Um, that fantasy is, is what the, the fashion industry is, is predicated upon, but um, I, I've yet to see any cases where that has actually been, been happening. So no, of, 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 that's a grave overstatement of, of the power of what these things can do. But that's the fantasy being sold. So in terms of what's happening to fashion during lockdown, of course this is most difficult because we don't know what people are wearing. Um, and I acknowledge, of course, that you've been in Stockholm this whole time, which hasn't had an equivalent lockdown to the rest of Europe. Um, but judging by some articles in The Guardian, it does seem to be the case that a lot of people are sitting around their house in their uh, sweatpants and so on. Uh, so, for example, Adley Freeman had an article in The Guardian where... Uh, she noticed that there was a lot of women wearing these shapeless, long dressings, uh, as though any semblance of fashion had been dispensed with. Uh, there was another piece yesterday saying that the bra uh, might be about to go out of existence because a lot of women have decided what's the point in wearing them during lockdown. So perhaps something interesting is happening with people's dress sense. Um, though, of course, I acknowledge this is a really tough question because we're talking about people indoors but have you any sense of what's going on yeah but i i think that's a that's a really interesting comment because it's it, it goes to the show and and first thing is that yes i've been in stockholm but but uh, the fantasies of life going on as normal uh, in stockholm during this pandemic is is, um, is quite over overblown so most people here have been uh, fairly isolated as well staying at home so we've had the same type of, of dynamic but that's not the, the point of the question here uh, if you look at just the um, financial reports of the big fashion companies, and, and in Sweden we have H&M, for example, I mean, they, they've had catastrophic uh, results. And, and so people have stopped buying clothes. They have stopped engaging in, in the, the normal fashion consumption. So that kind of speaks towards the idea that, yes, we have seen indeed uh, a change in how people dress. There is no point. I mean, even though people will typically testament to the idea that no I don't dress up for anyone else I dress up for for me it feels good for me to, to be doing this uh, it seems like when you no longer will meet people out there or you're no longer social the idea of, of dressing up in a way that will be fashionable and meaning be uh, met with uh, nods of approval from the people out there makes no sense so so it seems like people have really changed uh, quite a bit whether these will have long-lasting effects, I don't know. I mean, I guess the, the jury is still out on that. But there, there's also been quite a few pieces in, in various places. I don't know if there's been any in, in The Guardian, but, but definitely in, in the New York Times, for example, where they've looked at people who have kept their style through lockdown. So people that have gone up in the morning, put on a suit or a dress, and they have you know, shaved their beards or, or um, 
did their makeup or whatever routines you have in the morning uh, on a normal day they've kept that in a way to as, as a testament to staying civilized that's the way it's typically been, been framed out of respect for myself and for the work i do i will keep neat and tidy there are these like, mythical stories of how people think better they act more professionally uh, when when dressed professionally so there, there are yeah i think you, you see both things here and I, uh, it's going to be interesting i mean whether are, yeah are people still going to be wearing these baggy dresses with no bras after lockdown let's see uh, if we can still go back to the idea of the face mask and how that has become um, what used to be a rather can I say strange thing at least in the Nordics for people to wear, which has suddenly now gained obvious popularity and has become now a new canvas for expressing fashion-related individuality. So in so many interesting ways, one can observe how fashion is mutating in the current situation. At the same time, people have these new fashion accessories but they also see each other much less they are socially present much less so is there any way to make sense of this interplay and what might come out of it yeah absolutely i mean but but that's isn't that the the logic that we always see it's it's to be expected from from capitalism to to colonize every new domain um, possible, and I mean this, this is a clear. I mean this, you don't have to use big words here, but but it's it's certainly the, the market finding new opportunities. Uh, I mean a face mask that people will wear uh, very visibly, of course, is a, is a very nice way to to give people the idea that this is where you should project your identity. But but likewise with all sorts of new gadgets like like you know mobile phones, they they weren't out on the market very long before. Companies involved in, in fashion uh, came up with the idea that you can have these covers for them with uh, with logos on them or or just to, to look fashionable and, and that became a kind of a, a, an independent fashion for for mobile phones. Uh, I mean, we see that all the time. They're they're fine, whatever arena that they can come up with and and fill with with symbolic content, they will capitalize on that. So so I don't I don't see the face mask example as distinctly different from many others. I mean, yes, you could say that they're, it's maybe more sinister that they're indeed kind of capitalizing on something as, as dark as a pandemic, but, but I'm, I'm not the least surprised. I think this is, this is to be expected. And, and th- that doesn't mean that we should celebrate it or say, that, yeah, it's great, uh, but, it's, but it's, it's very much according to the, um, the examples we've seen before. But turning back a little bit, and, and one thing that I've, I've been really, um, and here I've only unfortunately seen anecdotal evidence of this, but I think that a lot of people have been uh, stepping down from from the game of, of uh, dressing fashionably since they will not meet the intended audience. I mean, the, yes, there are people posting selfies and, and on social media and so forth are still involved somewhat in the game, uh, changing it a little bit to, to things that are appropriate to wear while in lockdown. But I do think that a lot of people have uh, constantly filled their shopping baskets at their 
online retailer of choice with things. So when when people thought that yeah we're gonna open after Easter we're gonna open up, they they were starting to fill up with things in their virtual shopping baskets of, of things that were appropriate for you know early spring. And then okay that didn't really happen, but maybe around the beginning of June, so early summer. Uh, so I toss all the things in my shopping basket. I fill up with new things for the new opening. That's not happening. So people are kind of symbolically. Uh, involved in in preparing for this reopening and then it's not happening so they're throwing things away and then they keep trying so i think there's something that so the process is still ongoing even though they're but it, it's purely a, a game it's almost like a game of um, you know like paper dolls uh, I'm, oh, I, I'm gonna wear this and and it's gonna look nice okay i'm not gonna do it for real i'm, I'm just you know trying it on uh, in my mind and now i'm throwing it away and trying something else because you never get to that, you know, moment of truth that you typically uh, will get to when you actually try things out in, in, in social life. So that's something that that's I think quite quite interesting. I'm thinking that a lot of fashion brands, fashion houses today are in a rather interesting and again paradoxical situation where, of course, we have noted on this podcast too how. It's increasingly important for companies to show an easily recognizable inclination to social responsibility and ethics. But then again, if you follow Baudrillard again, uh, he in his critical text, he notes that fashion is curious precisely in the sense that it plays on fantasy and the aesthetic. It is not ethical, it is not sustainable, because that is not its uh, cyclical drive and flow of fantasy and all these affective intensities. What should we think about a fashion company that is trying to make a claim of ethics now? I don't think, I mean, the, the, the people that are involved, or a lot of people that are involved in, in fashion in different ways, will of course not view their own um, projects, whether they're companies or consumers, as being uh, involved in a mad game of, of, uh, of uh, playing around with symbols. They will truly believe and also make sure to construe their, their kind of narrative of, of what they're involved in in a way that, that truly makes sense. So yeah, we're, 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 fashion, we're a company selling clothes, but our real project is fighting for, for world peace or fighting for, for justice and, and uh, have these other social goals that they will project but they will not ever uh, manage to be successful. I think that it's become kind of a flattening out of these things. Uh, so they will not show up on the, on the map. Of, uh, they will not find retailers, they will not find consumers. If uh, the kind of the symbolic content they sell, whether that's, uh, yeah, this is going to make you the, the coolest kid in town or this is going to uh, save the world, I think they kind of end up on the same level of, of, of selling, a, selling a fantasy to people of, of what the transformation will be. This is going to transform you, or this is going to transform the, the world, but it's still a fantasy, chasing that, that lack that people feel, that this is going to complete me. Uh, I will be completed by buying things from this company that will help, uh, help justice. I mean, I think, I think a good example now, a good, good current example outside of the pandemic is the Black Lives Matter uh, movement where a lot of fashion companies have, have quickly jumped on board this this course 
and saying that well we we care about these issues we we're, we're on board uh, we're truly supporting uh, uh, the black lives matter movement uh, so buy our stuff and and make a difference so so but but that becomes on the kind of yeah on the same level conceptual level as as the other pursuits that people might be involved in in their their fashion consumption thanks for dropping by jacob fashion is a wild ride like is this podcast nice to hear joel likewise and it's a pleasure to, to hear the two of you again they were good times since stuck up <laughs>